Thank you, Paul. Thank you, worship team, for leading us with excellence this morning to the throne of grace as we consider the gospel in song. I want to invite you, church family, whether you're here in this room, and by the way, it's great to see so many of you, or if you are tuning in by live stream, I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 25. Last week, we saw that Christians have already come to the heavenly Mount Zion. We're already at the place where God's regal and glorious presence is known and praised forever. God is everywhere present, but He especially makes Himself known in the, the heavenly Zion. Jesus left heaven to live a perfect life, die in our place, so that our sins, the things that we say, do, and think that displease God, that they could be forgiven removed from our hearts so we could have access to God right now. And this is a tremendous reality. It's a reality that has been the focus of the book of Hebrews throughout. We can know God. We can enjoy God in love. Not because of what we've done, but because of the Son that He sent. And, and the danger that the, Hebrew, that, that the author of Hebrews is warning about is the danger that we would hear the gospel, but never really become a part of the gospel story. That we would reduce the gospel to checking a box, praying a prayer, signing a card when we were 8 or 12 or 15, and then just sort of ignoring Jesus the rest of our lives. And the danger is that's not really saving faith, because saving faith is enduring faith. And so we get a final warning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. And His voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Would you bow with me? God in heaven, we are desperate for you. Lord, we confess our, our desperation for you oftentimes doesn't match the depth of our need for you. So God, as we, as we hear this sermon this morning, as we ponder this truth this morning about who you are and what you've made possible through your Son, I, I pray, God, that you would deepen uh, the wellspring of gratitude in the heart of those who are believers this morning. And God, for those who are here and they're curious, they want to know more about you. They wonder if perhaps in this word, in this book, you have given us the answers for life that we seek. God, by your Holy Spirit, show them today what Jesus has made possible for them and, and motivate them and compel them to take it up, to take up life in Christ today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you... Um, Three marks of a real Christian this morning. Uh, earlier in the week, I, I titled this, Heed His Voice, Walk in Gratitude. That works too. So whichever title you want to write at the top of your, your notes there, either one works. Um, three marks of a real Christian, or three 
fundamentals for finishing. We go all the way back to chapter 10, down through the end of chapter 12, and, and it's really been all about finishing the race of the Christian life. Those who truly start the race will finish the race. And to finish the race, to inherit the kingdom of God, to, to be one of those people who has a standing in the new heavens and the new earth, there's three truths that we see in this passage. First, we must welcome what God is saying and heed His warning. We must welcome or embrace what God is saying and heed His warning. Secondly, we must not minimize the message of God's coming judgment. And thirdly, we'll get to these points in a moment, we must be filled with gratitude, humbly offering ourselves in service to King Jesus. So first, we must welcome what God is saying and we must heed His warning. In verse 25, the author of Hebrews reminds us that God speaks. Did you know that God speaks? Aren't you glad that God speaks? If God had not spoken, we would have no way of knowing Him. We would have no way of knowing about who He is, about His character, about how, why the world exists, how it came to exist, and what, he, what His plan for us is within this world that exists. But God has spoken. Hebrews is built on this foundational truth. It begins, do you remember, all the way back in chapter 1, for those of you who were here a year ago when we started in Hebrews, it begins in this way. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. Jesus is God's final word. God has spoken finally and decisively in Jesus, and the message will never change. He is speaking now what He has already spoken about Jesus. And today, some of you are, are seeking and wondering if Jesus is the answer, and He is, and there's no other answer that God will ever give. Jesus is God's final word. The forgiveness of sin that your heart so desperately needs to know the love of God is possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The knowledge of God in love rather than in wrath against your sin is possible because Jesus came to take God's righteous anger against sin from you. He came to bear it in your place. You can know God because of Jesus. And life everlasting in the kingdom of God is possible through His Son, Jesus. For this reason, verse 25 commands us, see to it or make sure that we do not refuse Him who is speaking. The word refuse means to ignore or to reject or to discount something. And I, I want you to pay careful attention to verse 25. This is such an important truth. The author of Hebrews assumes that to refuse what God speaks is to refuse God Himself. We live in a world that thinks they can belong to God and ignore God's Word. You can't do it. There's no way to belong to God other than obeying and following His Word. In other words, the opposite is true. If you want to embrace God, if you want to belong to God, if you want to know the love of God, if you want to be with God for eternity, you must embrace His message. You can't separate the two. We can't separate God's words to us from how He works in the world. We can't separate God's words to us from what He wants for us. We can't separate God's words to us and have God. To be a Christian is to be radically devoted to God by being riveted to what He says in His Word about His Son. Christians are Jesus' people because God the Father is 
all about the glory of His Son. This world is filled with false messages about who we are, about who God is, about how the world works, where the world came from, and where the world is going. But God answers all these things in the message that He's given to us about Jesus Christ, His Son. Therefore, it's a command. We must see to it that we listen to the God who speaks. I'll never forget when I was in the second grade, I I thought in the second grade I was going to be an engineer because addition was coming so easy to me. And then I hit AP Calculus and uh, I became a history major. But in the second grade, addition was easy and the teacher very unwisely put my desk right in front of this, I'll never forget, this little slit window that could look out. And so she's over here to my left and she's teaching about addition and there's a window and it's a sunny day and the birds are flying. So she's talking about addition and I'm in my mind, I'm at recess. Recess was great. I mean, I know none of you ever do that while I'm preaching with this big window right here. That never happens to you. So I was, I was daydreaming. And the first word I heard was, Daniel, could you please answer that question for us? I didn't even know if I was on the right page in the textbook. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. And so she knew it. She knew she had gotten me. And she went to Sally to my left. Now, I'm not sure that was her name. All I could hear was my name ringing, and I didn't have the answer. But whoever this young lady was to my left, and she goes, well, can you answer the question? And she gave, you know, it's like two plus two is four. I, four. Great. And I was embarrassed, and she had made her point, and I didn't daydream in math anymore. Self-confident daydreaming in second grade math is one thing. But self-confident spiritual daydreaming when it comes to what God is saying about His Son is deadly. You keep looking out the window and staring at all these other things of life and chasing down all the ways the world says that you can have meaning and satisfaction and pleasure in the world and they keep coming up empty and all the while God is speaking a message about His Son. He is the solution. He's the answer. And we've got to pay attention to what God is saying about His Son because there are inescapable consequences if we keep putting off to tomorrow the message that we should be heeding today. The word for in verse 25 gives us the reason we must pay attention to what God is saying because there's no way to escape God's judgment if we refuse God's words. The author draws a comparison between when God warned the Israelites in the wilderness before they went into the promised land and God's warning to us right now as we await the coming of the kingdom in full. Do you remember what Moses said to the Israelites? He's like, you're going to get into the land, it's going to be great. There's going to be milk, there's going to be honey, and you're going to get there and you're going to be tempted to think you have all this blessing because of what you did rather than what God has done for you. When you get there, just don't do that. Just just don't, because if you do, then your crops are going to fail, and you're going to have famine, and one day you're even going to be evicted from the very land that God gave you. Just don't forget God. Don't turn to idols. What'd they do? They did all those things. And they got kicked out of the land. And here's the author's argument. If the consequences of disobedience under the old covenant were that severe, imagine the consequences that are coming to those who hear about the gift of Christ and never really take up life in Him. 
This is not an earthly warning given only to Israelites in the wilderness. It is a heavenly warning given to all peoples in all times for all generations. Jesus left heaven. Here, how, here is how it is a heavenly message. Jesus is very God of God. He is God the Son. There's no time that Jesus did not exist. And He left heaven to wrap Himself in our humanity and take on the name Jesus, which means salvation. And He did that so that we could be reconciled to God. He left heaven to live in our place Die in our place. But if we refuse Him, there is no place to hide. There's no escape. Hebrews 2.3 says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The warning is from heaven because Jesus is from heaven. And if we truly turn to Jesus, we have life everlasting on reserve in heaven with our King. But if we refuse Jesus, we have nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide and nowhere to escape the just wrath of God. So in this world, church, no matter how great the pressure gets for living for Jesus, we must not stop hearing what the Father is saying about His Son. We must, no matter the cost, keep heeding God's Word and living for the glory of Christ the King. This morning, I want to encourage you, if you have not trusted in Jesus who came and laid down His life so that you could take up life in Him. Let today be the day that you bow all that you are. You bow all that you want and desire. You bow it down to Christ Jesus, God's Son and King. Because to do anything else means there's no escape. Which brings me to the second point, which we see in verses 26 and 27. We must not minimize the message of God's coming judgment. There are so many people who think they are Christians or they talk as if they know God and they believe that at the end of the day, it's just going to work out for everybody. When when Christ comes in glory, everybody's going to be okay because God is love. But that is not the message of the Bible, and it's certainly not the message of verses 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27 tell us that the entirety of creation will stand before its Creator. Which means, church, when we talk about sharing the Gospel with people, we should avoid talking about it like it's just a really cool option to consider adding to our lives. We do this sometimes because we're afraid of offending people. Which, it's good to want to be nice, right? I mean, we should want to be nice. We should want to be kind. But is it really kind to present the gospel as though it's just an option to consider? Like, it's, it's like, do you want mud flaps on your truck or not? You know, there's a lot of different theories and philosophies for living life. Maybe you should add a little Jesus to your life and it'll make things better. As though Jesus will just sort of be this sideshow in your life. No, the gospel is, when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus becomes your life. He is your everything. He is your all in all. The gospel is not some cool option to consider. It's a divine ultimatum. Trust Jesus or else. Take up life in Jesus. Endure with Jesus or you will die in your sins and you will face the consequences. We can't force anyone to trust Christ. But we also must not leave them with the idea that it doesn't matter. 
It matters forever. It matters tremendously. It matters eternally. There's been several times in my ministry where I've had the opportunity to be bedside with someone in the hospital knowing that they didn't have much time. Do you know what I talk to them about? I talk to them about Jesus. I don't talk to them about the football game unless it's just a little sliver of enough time to make them realize I love them. And then, boom, we get to the gospel. Why? Because in that moment, what else matters? And the reality is some of you are working with people. Some of you are surrounded by family members. Some of you live in an apartment complex across the street or down the road or in a neighborhood. And there's people all around you that God has put you in their life to give them the gospel. And you don't know if they've got another day. So why not go ahead and share it? Because it's really what matters. Yes, God is love, but God is holy. God has been perfect love from eternity past. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. There's just eternal love in the Godhead. God did not need you to be love. He is, by definition, love. And the only way we get to know the love of God is if we trust the Son that the Father so loves. You say, well, I just can't believe a God would be so loving and would allow people to spend eternity in hell. Let me ask you a question. What kind of father sends his son to die to save people from their sins and his wrath if it wasn't necessary? Yes, God is love, but to know God's love, you must trust in Jesus Christ, His Son. If we had any doubts about the holiness of God or the power of God to judge, Hebrews takes us back to Mount Sinai when God shook the earth. And God put everyone on notice that His Word cannot be violated without consequences. And Sinai was just a display of coming attractions. Hebrews quotes from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, where God says, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. Not just Mount Sinai, I'm going to shake it all up, the sea and the dry land. And then in verse 27 of Hebrews 12, the author reminds us of those little words, Yet once more, or in a little while, They mean that a greater shaking is coming. They mean that that God's shaking in the Old Testament is a preview of the shaking that's going to come when Christ returns. When He removes, verse 27, or changes or transforms, the the word is translated elsewhere in Hebrews, the things that can be shaken. Don't miss this. When Jesus returns, things are going to be shaken up. The kingdoms of the world are going to be toppled. Every idol, visible and invisible, will be crushed and destroyed and overthrown and cast down. Sinners who die in their sins will be raised up to everlasting torment and judgment, cast out of God's renewed creation. Creation itself, you think, you think this scenery out here is beautiful? You, it's nothing compared to what we will see in the new heavens and the new earth. Creation will be refined and purified and given a beauty unlike anything we've ever seen. When Christ comes to execute the final judgment, the fullness of His salvation will come in for those who have believed in Him. In that day, the whole earth, Isaiah says, will be full of His glory. As Schreiner says, all that is corruptible and defiling in the present creation will be removed, so the new creation, the heavens and earth, will shine with an intense beauty. The whole world will be a place perfectly suited to the praise of Jesus Christ our King. The glory of that future temple, when we are there with glorified bodies in God's 
presence, seeing Jesus face to face, will never be eclipsed. As we read in 2 Peter 3.13, according to His promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Do you look forward to that day? That day when it's better than even Eden was? No tree of the knowledge of good and evil, only life everlasting with our King. One day soon, church, this present world system is going to give way to a world that endures forever. So what does that mean when persecution comes? What does that mean when adversity comes? What does that mean when elections come? What does that mean when life is hard? It means that we don't place our hope in this world and its values. We place our hopes and dreams not in the present age, but in the King who holds the future in His hands. And if you have done that, then when the creation is shaken, if you belong to Christ the King, you will survive the shaking and emerge in a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Which brings us to our final point. We must be filled with gratitude, humbly offering ourselves in service to King Jesus. In verse 28, we're reminded that those who belong to Jesus are those who right now are receiving an unshakable kingdom. Daniel predicted this, right? He said God's kingdom would be like a giant stone wall that would shatter all the other kingdoms and fill the world. King Jesus will come. King Jesus will shake things up. The world that seems so intimidating right now will crumble at one word from our King. Yes, this world is filled with death and disease and despair and depression and pestilence and injustice and persecution, but King Jesus is coming and His kingdom won't be shaken. One Bible scholar says this, the kingdom that remains is the kingdom of God's purchased people, the ransom bride of Christ, who because of their union with Jesus by faith will not be shaken. For that reason, no matter how dark your world presently seems, if you are in Christ, you possess something that is impossible for the world to understand. And you know what it is? Gratitude. Gratitude. You see that in verse 28? Literally, the the Greek text says, let us have grace. This is an expression that means to be filled up with thankfulness. Are you a thankful person? Are you grateful for what you've been given in Christ? When Romans 1 speaks about our fall into sin, Paul says this, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Thanks. One of the primary reasons Jesus came from heaven was to rescue sinners from the sin of ingratitude. All we have and all we are is owing to God. We can be filled with thankfulness because we are receiving an unshakable kingdom. All the world seems to be a, a mess, and yet we have confidence through Christ that we belong to His kingdom. The Holy Spirit takes this truth, this reality, and He uses it to help us keep listening to God's Word about His Son in a world that keeps lying to us, trying to tear us away from true hope in Christ. Did you know when you're grateful, you're going to be hopeful? When you're grateful, it eliminates grumbling and complaining. When you're grateful, it gets your eyes off yourself and leads you to think strategically about how to bless other people. 
The staff and I are working through a book on discipleship right now. It's a, it's a biblical theology of discipleship. We're commanded to make disciples. And this book is like, well, let's do an overview of Scripture. What is a disciple? How do you make disciples? What does a, a disciple look like? And, and the author, in one of the chapters that we discussed this week, asked this question at the beginning of the book. Do, do the people who come to your church come focused on themselves or focused on being a blessing to others? Do they come with a, a scorecard checking out, you know, well, I, I like the music today. Uh, the, the pastor didn't have on a tie, so that's, that's minus one. Um, they, they had pews and not chairs. That's, that's another demerit. It, do, they, do they come with this grid of evaluating everything in terms of them, or do they come with their lives framed by so much gratitude that they can't help but want to be Jesus in other people's life? Jesus came and emptied and poured himself out so that others could know him. And, and this is what should happen in our lives. When that really happens to us, it makes us want to sing out when we sing together. It makes us want to get to church and find somebody else that we can bless. It makes us, if we can get there early, want to get there early so that other people who have to be late for whatever reason because the kid's going crazy and stuff happen, that they have a seat. It makes us think totally different about our lives and what God wants to do with us because we're so grateful for what we've been given in Christ an unshakable kingdom. When we take hold of this truth, when we meditate on who we have become by faith in Christ and what is on the way for us in Christ, it makes us grateful people. And when we take hold of that in our minds and our hearts, guess what happens? That truth then takes hold of us and it changes what we do, how we think. Look at the second half of verse 28. You say, well, I just didn't feel like worshiping this morning. Did you feel grateful? Because look at what gratitude does. Gratitude is the, is the environment that leads us into heartfelt worship. Let us be filled with grace. Let us be filled with thanksgiving. Let us be filled with gratitude because no matter what's going on in my world, I've been given an unshakable kingdom. And when I think about that, it floods my mind and my heart with gratitude, which leads me to offer to God myself as an acceptable service or worship with reverence and all. The word service there is the word that is translated worship in many other places. It's the, it's the word of priestly service. And you say, well, I thought the whole book of Hebrews is about the fact that we don't need the old covenant priesthood. You don't, but when you come to Jesus, the great high priest, guess what he does? He makes you a priest. You don't have to take a plane ride to Jerusalem and go into a tabernacle or a temple to be a priest. He immediately, when he saves you, makes you a priest to your God. Which means Jesus died and rose again to produce a gratitude in your life that's so compelling that it leads you to worship God everywhere. At every time, in all aspects of your lives, in your hobbies, you can golf for the glory of God. That's good news. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your retirement. Are you retired, retirees? Are you retired for the glory of God? Are you spending your retirement for the glory of God, or are you spending your retirement on yourself? Retirement is not made for going to the beach and picking up seashells the rest of your life, as John Piper once said. 
Man, make your retirement count. The last chapter of your life, make it the best chapter of your life for eternity. Don't, don't hang it up and go home. Go, go marching to Zion. Go all in for Jesus. Every aspect of your life, your weekend worship, everything you do, you should have a gratitude because God is bringing you to an unshakable kingdom. Paul says, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all. That's everything, right? Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Thanksgiving and worship go together. Thanksgiving and action go together. Having an eternal perspective leads to kingdom-focused gratitude, which produces in our lives a desire to be acceptable or well-pleasing in the sight of God. God saves you through the blood of Jesus, so your whole life will be dedicated to the worship of His Son. And get this, not a flippant worship, not a casual worship or an entitled worship, not a worship that can only happen if everything around you is just like you want it, but true worship. Worship that is reverent in reverence and in awe of Jesus who rescued you. Schreiner says this, Genuine worship flows from a humble gratefulness. A gratefulness mixed with a holy fear, with the realization the kingdom is an undeserved and precious gift. Hence, there's no arrogance, but only joy that is sweetened by a sense of awe. Do you stand in awe of Jesus who rescued you? True worship comes from those who know they are undeserving. Jesus did not come to heal the righteous, but the sick. We did not deserve for God to speak to us We did not deserve His Son to die for us. We do not deserve a forever home with Him, but He's given us all that and more, and this reality makes us grateful for all we have in Christ. Only through Jesus have we been qualified to encounter the God described in verse 29. Do you see it? Our God is a consuming fire. Don't play games with God. Let the consuming fire of His holiness make you more like Jesus. Don't face the consuming fire of God's holiness without Jesus. In Deuteronomy 4.24, Moses warned the Israelites, don't forget God and worship idols. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy 9.3, he told the Israelites as they're about to cross the Jordan, know today that it is your God who is crossing before you as a consuming fire, and He will destroy your enemies. He will subdue them before you. So you've got one of two options with the consuming fire of God. You can face it based on what you've done, or you can face it based on what Christ has done for you. And if you've come to Christ, here's what will happen in your life. If you're really keeping your eyes fixed on the unshakable kingdom, if you've really trusted in Jesus, then the consuming fire of God's presence will be welling up on the inside. And there's going to be things that you want to say or do or think that displease God. That's called the flesh. And guess what? God will convict you of it. And over time, the 
burning, refining fire of God's presence as you walk with Jesus looking to the kingdom. He's just going to keep making you more and more and more like Christ your coming King. So when He comes again, you will be fit for heaven. But if you don't trust Christ, when God comes, when Christ comes and shakes things up, you will, be, you will be among those who are shaken. You will face the just and holy and righteous wrath of God forevermore. And so the warning of Hebrews is this. Do you really have gratitude for Jesus that is leading you to a life of worship? Or are you just taking Jesus for granted? Eternity is on the way. And God is a consuming fire. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, move in this place. God, we thank you for, for meeting with us today. God, we thank you that you've spoken through your Son. God, we praise you that we can have assurance of salvation through saving faith in Christ. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here today, maybe they're looking for a church home. They want to join with a church that believes that Jesus is real and He makes all the difference and He's providing for us an unshakable kingdom and they want to be on mission in this valley together. Would, would you send them to, to lock arms with us in this journey? to the heavenly city. But God, there's, there's also perhaps some people who they, they came wondering, is this message true? And, and for all the words that have come from my mouth, that's not what really matters. What matters, God, is, is your Holy Spirit is working in their lives right now. God, there's a, there's a sense that they can't shake. There's a sense that they can't explain that you love them and you have loved them in Christ. And they, they need to come to Christ so that they can actually experience the love of God. God, for that, that man or that woman, would you give them the liberty to come this morning? To cry out to God and repent of their sin and to trust in you. Lord, we pray that you would move as we stand and sing. For you are a great, great God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.